This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With songs of other tribes, we discuss the sphere-based magic system used in Mage the Ascension. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. With Songs of Other Tribes, we discuss how other RPG systems have handled magic and how these systems compare to elements of the Invisible Sun RPG. In today's segment, we discuss the magic system from the White Wolf or Onyx Path game uh, called uh, Mage the Ascension. Mage the Ascension is uh, a, a RPG with some history behind it. It is part of the World of Darkness games that uh, were quite influential in the early nineties RPG scene. Uh, of course, you know, there, there were RPGs in the 1980s, other than Dungeons and Dragons, there were lots of competition uh, between different game systems, but something seemed a little different and maybe it's just because of the age I was at the time, but the world of darkness games published by white wolf in the early nineties seemed to be a whole different type of role-playing game and a serious competitor and a, and a strongly contrasting alternative to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the most famous of these games would be, were uh, Vampire the Masquerade uh, mm. and Werewolf the Apocalypse. And the third of the most popular games in this line was Mage the Ascension. And that's uh, what I want to talk about most today and the magic system that is included in that. These games represented a shift, uh, or at least was perceived at the time, to represent a shift from earlier RPGs in terms of their uh, flexibility. Uh, They were less uh, specific with rules. Uh, They were more open to people being flexible in interpreting uh, powers, abilities, uh, character options, and the like, uh, with a heavy emphasis on role-playing and uh, political contests between uh, between players and players in the environment, setting up political stories rather than uh, traditional dungeon crawl sorts of stories. And so this was this was a big change, um, though not everyone had such a positive uh, interpretation of the systems. Some would say that the systems weren't so much uh, flexible and open as they were poorly defined, um, and that some argued that the systems didn't support the tones that the games were advertising and describing very well. Uh, Most famous uh, kind of jokes in this regard were that uh, Vampire the Masquerade was this sort of punk gothic vampire story about uh, exploring the darkness of being a vampire. But most of the people who played it was were basically playing super, super powered people uh, who drank blood. And so it became more of a superhero game than a horror game. Uh, and not the game specifically of personal horror that was described in some of the advertising. So there's some debate over the match between the systems and the games. Though I think Mage the Ascension probably is best remembered uh, or it, as having a 
a strong match between the systems in the game and the spirit and tone that the game was said to represent. So even with the the potential of losing your human uh, the potential of losing your humanity, the the vampire game tended to skew towards superpowers. Yeah, a lot of people uh, would hand wave the mechanisms in the systems yeah. that tried to push people back uh, away from just using convenient uh, uh, victims to fuel their superpowers. Uh, the most dismissive characterization of the system was was uh, uh, referred to as vampians. Uh, where Champions was the, uh, was a popular superhero mm. RPG. And so some people joked that Vampire was really Vampians because it was really just vampires who had superpowers. And those games often didn't focus then on the personal horror of descending into be- the, the sort of bestial nature of a, a, you know, a, a blood-consuming vampire, but instead how awesome it would be if by merely drinking blood, you could go you know break bodyguards in half and do all these ma- great magical uh, uh, effects with your vampire powers. I mean, it's it's appealing. Yeah, take away the the other aspect of that game, and I guess yeah, you're a superhero. Well, yeah, because of power fantasy. <laughs> yeah, power fantasy. But Mage the Ascension, you, you said that this thing has an interesting magic system, a sphere based magic system. Did did they like port that into Final Fantasy X or something? Uh, well, this would have been, oh, what, 1992? Yeah. Or something along these lines. So <clears throat> it goes back uh, quite a ways. Uh, the notion of the connection between spheres and magic is, you know, sort of a cult lore that goes back far before uh, Mage the Ascension. But the. Uh, but the, yeah, the, the Mage Ascension uses its, what was at the time a relatively novel system. Uh, for magic. And I, I'm going to describe only parts of the system. It's much more complex than I'm describing. And I'm going to focus on the version, uh, uh, the most recent version of Mage the Ascension. Each of the games has gone through multiple editions uh, and versions. I'm going to talk mostly about the 20th anniversary edition of Mage the Ascension published by Onyx Path. But even then, I'm going to select only pieces of this that I think are most relevant to the comparison to Invisible Sun. Um, before we dig too deep into it, um, you said that there are multiple editions of each of these games, and I'm slightly familiar with some of the naming, but it was Mage the Ascension and then Mage the Awakening. Was there anything else or does it just jump up to the anniversary? And what is that based Techn- on? Yeah, Technically, Mage the Ascension and Mage the Awakening are different games entirely. Yeah, okay. Uh, that, so... In the original World of Darkness line, all of these games, the Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, and and the other games like Wraith and Changeling and other games had multiple editions. So they had, I believe, a first edition, a second edition, and most of them had a revised edition. Mm -hmm. And that's all within their own name. So there was Mage the Ascension, first, second, and revised. Oh, okay. uh, White Wolf relaunched the entire line abandoning what had been the meta plot and the setting to create different games with slightly different mechanics that were hoped to be more compatible for crossing the lines between these games so that mages can interact better with vampires and things like that, fixing problems that were fundamental to the storyteller system that underlied all these world of darkness games. And so Mm -hmm. mage, the, uh, uh, the awakening is that entirely separate relaunched rebooted version inspired oh, okay. by some of the same ideas, uh, but not a new edition of Mage the Ascension, really. Okay. So, so then there's this... Vampire the Requiem. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, so then the Onyx Path uh, edition, that's based on Ascension? Right. So the 20th anniversary okay. edition is actually based on the original World of Darkness storyteller system that goes back to Mage the Ascension. <clears throat> Though it takes some hints here and there from Mage the Awakening. I don't know the Mage of the Awakening system as well. Mm -hmm. So I won't speculate much as to where exactly the greatest level of influence was. Uh, but there have been some updates, though. More or less, they tried to maintain continuity with the philosophy of the original Mage the Ascension game in its anniversary edition. And so it represents, uh, I think, pretty well what the spirit of the original game was uh, without trying to more dramatically update it like Mage the Awakening uh, was intended to do. Okay, cool. So we're just using this as a base system. Um, one thing that was really interesting at the, again in the early 90s was that uh, most of us came to playing Mage the Ascension from Dungeons and Dragons or, or very similar games where magic was based on spells. And we've talked before about Vancian magic and uh, we have Vances in Invisible Sun uh, and we have spells which have well-defined uh, effects before you cast the spell. So you'll say something like, I'm going to cast a fireball. And that fireball means that I can place it anywhere within 40 feet. And it's going to do this sort of damage to this many people in this range. And all those sorts of effects are defined and advanced. Um, and you have a, 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 a hand or a collection of these spells you can draw from. Uh, and that's how most of us came to think of using of magic systems and RPGs. The, the right way. <laughs> uh, well, it is one way. Uh, it is the right way uh, the Order of Ances will tell you. But the uh, Mage the Ascension wanted to play with a different image of the mage. They want to play with the mage as someone who does anything they want to do, that who, who toys with the fundamental forces of the universe to create whatever spontaneous effect is appropriate at the time. This sounds very much like another order that we've talked about. Yes, uh, we will tie this back because I believe it is a direct, either direct inspiration or at least a very close analogy to the order of weavers. So how does it work in the mage system then? So in the mage system, you start an act of magic, which we might call a spell. You start by figuring out what the effect you intend to create is. And there are some peculiarities of the setting and the metaphysics of Mage the Ascension, where you're trying to make effects look mundane, to look normal, so that other people don't understand how they're clashing with the laws of physics. But I'm going to ignore all of that for right now. Just imagine that you're just defining what the effect will be. Okay. Once you define what the effect will be, you've, you have to figure out what fundamental forces do you have to manipulate in order to create that effect. Ooh, should we come up with an effect right now? Uh, well, I've got some examples we'll come to, and let me go through some of the uh, examples for our, some of the some of the these fundamental forces first. All right, perfect. And then we'll have some examples. So these fundamental forces, there's there's actually nine of them. There there'll be this will not be on the exam. You don't need to worry about remembering all of these, but they'll give you a sense of the types of forces that people may have more or less control of over as mage as mages. So some might have very strong uh, uh, control over one of these spheres uh, and none of others or vice versa. So mages have different levels of control over correspondence, which is a sphere that represents the manipulation of, of space and distance. Uh, matter, that one's pretty easy. Forces, this would include basically energy uh, and other similar forces. 
Uh, life, living material, mind, spirit, the distinctions there can be kind of tricky, the manipulation of time, the manipulation of entropy, and the most enigmatic, the manipulation of the prime sphere. Hmm. Uh, I won't go into great detail. This is, again, very specific to Mage the Ascension, but the prime sphere represents the ability of any particular mage to impose a pattern on these raw forces. So it kind of becomes prime in the sense of being fundamental to most of what of everything that you do. Because if you're trying to shape a force or shape matter or shape life, you do so through the patterns of prime. Mm-hmm. So we can we, now I can think of some examples. So if we have our, you know, so what might be an example that we will arbitrarily uh, uh, negotiate with these spheres? Um, well, I was thinking of a couple things. Like, I guess if you're trying to make it something that people won't notice, I don't know, let's say you're trying to stop a car from crashing into the side of a building. Okay. And again, we'll, we'll ignore the components of the game system that deal with paradox and whether things look unrealistic because invisible sun. Yeah, we don't have surreal, so we don't care about that. <laughs> uh, but it, let's say you, there's a car barreling down the, uh, the, the alleyway of Saturn and we're trying to stop that car. Well, we can think of uh, several forces as being relevant. I think forces, um, if this is, if we think of momentum as a force, yeah, that makes sense. Then, uh, then if we're trying to mitigate the momentum of the force, we're going to have to have uh, access to the force sphere uh, in this system. Um, perhaps also matter. If we want to direct, if we want to directly affect the composition of the car, if we want to turn the car into marshmallows, oh, okay. Um, instead of it, so that if it does hit the wall, it doesn't do any damage. That would probably be a matter effect. If we want to affect the driver so they can main, they can seize control of the car and veer away from uh, the wall that they're speeding towards, maybe that, that could be a mind effect. Uh, yeah. So then how would Prime play into this? I'm curious about that one because it doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, I don't want to go too far into it because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me either. <laughs> okay. In, in this example, Prime doesn't probably play a huge role, mm-hmm. but let's say what I wanted to do was to magically conjure a giant mattress that I was going to put in front of the wall so that the car rammed into the mattress rather than the wall. Okay. That would be creating something, creating matter. So I would need access to the matter sphere, but it wouldn't. it's not raw matter. It's a pattern of matter. It's a, it's a specific... Uh, composition. And therefore, I would actually need to combine my control over matter with my uh, control over kind of patterns of magic. Okay. And so I would combine matter and prime probably to do that sort of effect. Whereas I'm not sure that would be the case if I was just directly affecting someone's mind by putting in an illusion, uh, or if I was just trying to destroy momentum. That might be a combination of of forces and entropy, because entropy is kind of destructive, uh, rather than prime, which would be creative. Okay, that makes a bit more sense then. Um, Don't think about it too hard. Um, one part of the, this system is notoriously complicated, uh, and as a result, there's kind of two funny parts of all of this. You know, the, the selling point is it's so flexible. However, the problem is it is so flexible. 
that one way they try to pull back from the flexibility a bit is to introduce what they call rotes, which are pre-worked examples. Okay. So they might say, look, a lot of people want to blast others with fireballs. So if you're trying to blast someone with a fireball, uh, we're just going to go ahead and come out and say that that's forces three prime one. <laughs> Just to tell you as a benchmark what that should be. Here are a bunch of recipes. Uh, the recipes, exactly. And some people focused more on recipes than others, but they were there for benchmarks uh, and they were there if people wanted to rely upon them because they were afraid of having too much freedom and flexibility in the hands of the players to define their magical effects uh, uh, spontaneously every time. Mm-hmm. And the second kind of funny uh, emergent property of, of the ambiguity of the system is specifically the second edition mage uh, game has released a book that I kid you not is entitled, How Do You Do That? Oh, seriously? That's great. It is. Yeah, it is, that's the title. It's actually on drive through RPG. Um, it is entirely a book trying to demystify the process of replicating various spell effects using the sphere system to click. So there's an entire book to help you cast spells better in mage, the Ascension after the core rule book, which runs, let me see 698 pages. Uh, Wasn't enough to tell you how to cast spells. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, These, these 20th anniversary editions are, notoriously large volumes. And of course, they include not just systems, but they include setting and things like that. So it's a little facetious to use the full page count. But even in 700 pages, they could not fit a a, uh, sufficiently detailed and satisfying account of how to negotiate the combinations of all these spheres. Um, So they have a whole book just on using the sphere system to cast magic. uh, And it's more than that. It's also about like, what if you're trying to do more exotic magic systems and how might they translate into the sphere system, like elemental magic and necromantic magic and things like that. Uh, so it's combinations of rotes as well as just guidelines on how to define all of these spheres and combine them for commonly desired effects. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense then. Um, do we want to talk about how these compare to the weavers or do we have more to get into with mage stuff? I think we probably talked about mage, the Ascension enough to give you a sense. Again, this is just introduction. Um, it's, it's a, it is a well-respected game for a reason. If this interests you, I recommend the 20th anniversary of mage, the Ascension available on drive through RPG um, and 700, 700 pages from now, you too can know a lot more about this game. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's good for our purposes. I think it illustrates the sort of interesting free form magic. That's a comparison to the uh, very tight uh, defined magic we've talked about in the past with spells and in a traditional Vancean and, and Dungeons and Dragons sort of system, because here mages can do anything they want. However, they've got to explain how they do what they do given their connections to different spheres of influence. Uh, weavers have a very similar approach though. We are some, we don't have a lot of information, uh, outside of ND, you know, NDA playtest on how weavers work, but clearly they work along these lines. How much do we have that's available in the Kickstarter? I guess I didn't check to see what was there. Um, uh, among the things I'm confident that we have 
or I'm willing to take the heat for saying, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we have in the public domain. Um, rather than spheres, weavers use what are called threads, which are, are which is you know, obviously when they're weavers, so it fits thematically. And weavers will combine different threads of magic in order to create the effects that they want to create. But rather than having a predetermined list of things they can do, then they're going to be able to do whatever they want to do, the, which they can accomplish by weaving together these threads. I think uh, we could talk about it sort of with uh, the actual plays as our reference point. So that's an excellent idea. Yeah. In a woman with hollow eyes, uh, Calvin is a weaver and he has access to freedom. And uh, I think it's, I want to say it's thunder. It might be thunder. I'm not, I, I'd have to double check it, but um, that sounds right. <laughs> he does a lot of stuff where he's, uh, he ends up flying them up th- to the top of the guardian of the pale. Uh, and he does that with freedom, but he got access to another, another thread, which uh, allowed him to do something that wasn't so uh, bombastic uh, because there was another point where he weaves things together um, to try and destroy his building uh, to destroy his uh, apartment uh, in order to get himself out of a contract. And he was doing that with freedom and uh, if it was thunder, it was freedom and thunder. And the way he described it is he was taking qualities from each of those different threads and explaining to the GM, to Darcy, you know, how he's putting this magic together and what it's doing and why the qualities from, you know, both threads, why, uh, why they're going to allow him to do what he was doing. Um, but because of thunder, it meant he couldn't do anything in a very subtle way. Right. It, it imposes limitations on what you can do. So it's not just what you can do, but also what you cannot mm-hmm. do. And this is similar to the sphere-based system where the a, a mage who specializes in forces and prime can probably you know can can summon energy and forces like that, but isn't going to be able to heal a wound. Well, the threads for weavers are going to limit what areas they have uh some access to so freedom is going to give you probably access to ver- various options for movement. Yep, uh, with all the flight he was doing, <clears throat> uh, and also yeah. um, some sort of destructive effect. Possibly, right? So, and and it's in Invisible Sun. The, the threads that we have examples from the Kickstarter as well as from the actual plays are much more literary or figurative than the spheres in Mage: The Ascension. But the notion of combining these themes in order to uh, justify a spell effect, rather than having a list of spell effects in advance, I think is a common element to the sphere system and the weaver system. So based on, have you played mage? I have not played mage in quite a while, but yes, I played back in the day, you might say. Uh, So how did that flexibility work out for the game? Uh, I mean, was it an issue to to allow players access to, I guess, their imaginations like that? 
It was. Um, I think this is less an indictment of the system than an indictment of the system when played by college age people who have lots of issues. Okay. <laughs> Admittedly, that was the demographic for the World of Darkness games. Oh, I was into it in high school. Um, Come on. Oh, well, you're precocious then, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, then again, it didn't exist when I was in high school or it, vamp- Vampire was just coming out. Mage did not. Um, so <laughs> we weren't great about negotiating uncertainty and operating in a system of trust <laughs> where uh, a, a GM could tell us, mm, I think you're overreaching with that particular power, or let's say thunder won't let you do that, or freedom won't let you, know, you can only get so far with your freedom thread or whatever it might be that we'd have to do with weavers. That led to intergroup conflict that we decided to avoid by changing systems. Now, I think the players with whom I've played Invisible Sun could probably use the sphere-based system uh, without that conflict. Uh, So again, it's not necessarily the system itself. It's just where in my life I was when I played the system and our tolerance for ambiguity and willingness to to accept uh, judgments of GMs and the like to resolve uh, differences of opinion. So there are two takeaways here. Invisible Sun is for mature gamers uh, and also GMs know best and players are stupid. Some set of those I accept. (laughs) Uh, I I do accept, for instance, that Invisible Sun is probably not the game you would want to play if you had a group of gamers that is prone to conflict and disagreement over interpretation of rules because there's a lot of interpretation that goes into this game. Yeah. And you certainly wouldn't want to give, uh, you wouldn't have, want to have a party full of weavers if that were the case. A party full of weavers would be an interesting story. <laughs> um, I could totally see that working, actually. Uh, but yeah. it requires a, a degree of trust uh, in the GM as well as the other players not to abuse the system. Um, this is not an Invisible Sun example, but one from a different gaming system. where there's a similar problem. Um, Though I don't think this was a game system problem. I think this was an interpretation of the rules problem. There's a different game system I played at a a convention that I didn't know well enough to know whether it was being interpreted correctly. Mm -hmm. But in the game system, the mages simply have an ability called cast spell. And they declare every time what that spell is. And then the GM basically adjudicates whether that spell, whether the requested power is within the range of what the... uh, the mage can do and how difficult it'll be. And they roll that sort of that, that off. Well, in this particular con game, the GM was being way too nice to one player who was abusing that sort of discretion and basically took over the game because every time we come up with anything, they would say, well, since I can cast anything, I choose to do this thing, which will get us around the entire encounter. Um, So in in that con setting, the, 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 the deference to authority wasn't there, which is partly because the trust wasn't there. Uh, neither was the willingness to say, no, um, <clears throat> that's not fun. And that's not what the rules mean anyway. Uh, we need to have a more circumscribed view of what these spells can do so that we can all participate in a game uh, and have fun doing so. But for fear of avoiding conflict in a con game, the GM just let the the player do whatever he wanted uh, with that cast spell sort of flexible magic system. And as a result, no one else really did much. Yeah, that would be a real bummer. 
Yeah. At one point, this the player joked, this is great. I basically have a wish spell every round. Oof, woof. Yeah. Some of the other players around the table were kind of rolling our eyes and thinking, this is terrible. You have a wish spell every round. <laughs> Uh, and we didn't want that for ourselves either, because that doesn't, you know, that doesn't lead to interesting storytelling. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking of something and it was, oh, I could see running a weaver uh, or playing a weaver in a one shot being a bit of a challenge. Especially in a con setting where you don't know the GM and the rest of the party members, the other players, uh, because you haven't negotiated very well what the, the limitations are on the power. Mm-hmm. I I know without going into great detail in the play test, I've had to do a lot of just sort of hand waving and judging based on circumstances, how difficult spells are supposed to be and what the limits of Weaver powers are. It's hard to define all of the potential limitations and the scope of uh, these spells. And, that didn't interfere with our fun. We had a good group that played along with all of this and didn't overreach and made sure everyone was able to contribute. And so it worked out great. And I like the system for that. Uh, but I could see that system not necessarily working well if you didn't have that degree of trust uh, with your other players in the GM. Well, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of solution that's going to address this just in case they do decide that they want to run this uh, in, a, in a convention setting. Um, it, it seems like it would be a big task to do that sort of thing, but I, I bet they could make it work. Yeah. That being said, people do play Mage the Ascension at cons. Uh, are, are those events that are denoted with, uh, experience required? Probably more often than Adventurers League play for Dungeons and yeah, Dragons. I, have, I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any events yet that require experience. So I'd, I'd be curious about that. Yeah. And this to, to kind of put a cap on the conversation is I think uh, uh, one of my initial reactions to invisible sun was this is neat. It's a game in which everyone's a magic user, but they're a magic user from a different game. <laughs> and the vances are the mages from dungeons like and dragons established is the correct way to do it. Yes. Um, and the weavers are mage, the ascension mages and artificers are the builders and the engineers and, uh, you know, uh, from, I don't, leave, I don't know if there's a specific system I, I would know. say that comes from, but almost GURPS uh, <laughs> in terms of building spell effects and building things like that. But it's almost like you're playing multiple RPGs at the same time, but every player is playing a different one because they're magic systems. Goetix. What, what game are they from? I don't know of a system that I would say is entirely summoning uh, based. Shamans and Shadowrun. That might be. I don't know Shadowrun very well. Uh, so I will just say, sure. It's it's close, but it doesn't have half of the role-playing that is expected from a Goetic. Well, I think that's fair to say with Vance's as well, for that matter. Uh, but then you also have the Apostates. Right, which are similar to the Vance's in terms of they, they focus mostly on their mm-hmm. spells. So predefined uh, spell effects. However, they have a very different political context. And their connection to the society of mages is very different, but it's not like playing an entirely different RPG. Like I think playing a weaver is almost like playing a different RPG than playing um, an artificer or I'm sorry, uh, um, a a maker. That's, that's one of the things that really attracted me to the game was the opportunity to within one unified system. Really it is all one game, but 
to kind of play mages from different RPGs that all happen to team up in the weirdest meta RPG ever. Yeah, now I'm going to be thinking about that. I'm going to try and track down what other RPGs have these other, uh, you know, magic systems. Mm -hmm. I can think of some, some indie RPGs that have elements of it, but nothing quite comparable to like nothing with as close a correspondence to uh goetics as i think sphere based magic from age of the ascension mm -hmm. does to weavers yeah it 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 seems very similar one last note before we go to our, our outro uh their uh, messages are starting to come down from money cook games uh that are, are a bit of a warning we've got we'll, we'll keep with our, our canned outro for now that you can go on to moneycookgames.com and pre-order invisible sun you can still do that as of the time of this recording and likely for the next several, you know, next uh, few weeks. But at some point in the uh, near future, in the spring, uh, uh, the word from Monica Games is that they're going to close pre-orders, that they have already announced rationing of the Invisible Sun Black Cubes to retailers um, because they believe they're going to sell out and will not be able to move as many into the retail chain as possible, which means if you want the game, you should probably pre-order it. And if you want to pre-order it, you should do so directly before those pre-orders shut down in the not too distant future. Yeah. I have been talking with people here and there and saying, uh, cause we've gotten a few questions uh, about, you know, should I get this game right now or should I hold off? And my answer up until this point has been, Oh, you, I mean, you should probably hold off and, you know, wait to see, what people have to say about it once it comes out. Uh, Cause you know, uh, Scott, you and I are both really excited about this thing coming out. Uh, and I, I guess right now I would be saying, yeah, if you're kind of on the fence and they're close to selling out, you might want to just grab a pre-order at this point. Yeah. There is a chance that after they sell through their production run, that they just wipe their hands and say, this has been a great art object and we are now officially done. Just like they're not publishing new physical volumes of Tolis because that's sort of an artifact of its time. Uh, I could see them not reproducing the black cube in particular because it is such a complicated uh, project it's expensive and the margins uh, for what it, it turns over in terms of profit are much lower than you'd expect from other RPG products uh, that they, uh, it, it, they can't produce the, the excess number that you would for just a simple mm -hmm. book because of that expense. And so as a result, there's, you know, the, the signals we're getting, which admit they have an interest in sending, <laughs> But the signals we're getting indicate that uh, this this might uh, not be reliably available through retail uh, shortly after release. I wonder if it will be reliably available for retail even, say, three years from now. Yeah, um, I guess we'll have to wait to find out. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is currently available for pre-order at InvisibleSunRPG.com. For a limited time, you'll receive an additional Sooth deck when you pre-order the game. You can find our blog at IncantationsPodcast.blogspot.com or email us at IncantationsPodcast at gmail.com. You can find me 
at Agonseer, A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. Do us a favor. Leave us a rating uh, and a review on iTunes. Uh, it really helps people find out about our show. Another great way is to just uh, tell a friend. Uh, tell a friend about Incantations. Tell them about Invisible Sun. And that would really help us out a lot. <laughs>